You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. Welcome to Thorn Creek Church. Uh, I'm Jeremy Lyon. I'm our infrastructure pastor. Uh, I just want to say thank you for joining us online. Thank you for being here. I don't know about you, but I thought that worship was amazing. My hands are actually a little sore from clapping so much, so I hope you were doing the same. Uh, I'm filling in for our lead pastor, Pastor Ruben, uh, who's been out sick, and if you haven't heard the news, he is home. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Do I hear it? All right. There better be like amens and clapping emojis and raising hand emojis in the chat. He is home. It is a miracle uh, from God. It truly is. You know, the nurses uh, said they'd never seen anyone walk out of the COVID ICU unit. Um, So thank you for your prayers. Continue to pray for Pastor Ruben. He is recovering at home. Uh, Pray for his family. Uh, Pray for our community. We still have lots of people who are dealing with this sickness, who are getting better. So uh, we just need to lift them up in prayer. And uh, let's pray now. And pray for the message and everything as well. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I just thank you. Thank you for who you are. Uh, You alone are God. Oh God, and you just, you come and meet with us. You choose to meet with us. You want to meet with us. And I'm so thankful, God. So thankful. God, would you prepare our hearts? Would you, just, would you just pierce our hearts even right now? God, would you set me aside? And I pray that this time, this message is just your message, God, that your words come out of my mouth, God. We lift up Pastor Reuben. We lift up all those who are, who are still battling sickness and getting better, God, and we just pray your healing touch upon each of them. Breathe your breath of life into their lungs, God. Bring healing like only you can. Oh, like only you can. God, we love you. We worship you. And it's in your precious name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so I'm excited for today's message. Uh, We've been looking at the life of Moses, and I want to kind of recap really quick. If you've missed any of the messages, then you're going to want to go to our YouTube channel and watch it. We have a playlist out there called Moses. You can watch all those. You do not want to miss any of these. But we started uh, with looking at uh, who am I, right? We looked at the call of Moses and and God calling him from the burning bush, and Moses' response was, was, who am I, right? Uh, I can't speak very well. I have a tied up tongue, I, I, all these different things. He had all kinds of excuses. What am I going to tell the people? They're not going to believe me. And so he said, who, who am I that you would call me? And I love how Pastor Reuben said it. I think it really set the stage for this entire series is that God spent the rest of Moses' life, his ministry, showing Moses who I am who I am, who God is, right? And then, so then we, we looked at God and him delivering the Israelites out of Egypt, all of the plagues that happened. And then we looked at God's mighty miracle as he brought them through the Red Sea. He divided the waters. They walked through on dry ground. And then the Israelites were going through the desert and we looked at how they started to grumble and how they were scared about being provided for. And they got to this place called Mara, bitter. And there was this bitter water and God made that water sweet for them. Uh, he didn't mind their grumbling. He had grace for them and he showed them who he was. And he gave them actually a new name for him as well. He said, I am the Lord who heals you. 
And then last week, Pastor Nick shared a wonderful message about being tired on the inside. And we can all relate with that. We're all tired on the inside. And we see this great message of how one, God continued to provide. He brought water from a rock, even when there was grumbling, even when the people were tired. And then God also delivered them in their weakness against the Amalekites in that battle. And uh, as, as Moses hold, held that staff up, Aaron and her would hold his arms up and God went before them and made them uh, successful and gave them victory. And so now we're with Moses and the Israelites and they're getting back to uh, the uh, Mount Sinai. They're getting there. They're getting to where they were finally wanting to go. And God is going to reveal to them more of himself. And he's going to reveal the Ten Commandments and this covenant that he wants to have with them. And I'm, I'm guessing when, when we talk about the Ten Commandments, many of you probably think about this. Good old Charlton Heston, right? And Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments. And, um, but uh, I actually found some footage of this event actually happening. So, so check it out. Moses went to the mountain and God spoke unto him. Moses, this is the Lord thy God commanding you to obey my law. Do you hear me? Yes, I hear you, I hear you. A deaf man could hear you. What? Nothing, I punished you, forget it. Oh Lord, why have you chosen me? What would you have me do for you? I shall give you my laws and you shall take them unto the people. Yes, Lord. Lord, I shall give these laws unto thy people. Hear me. Oh, hear me. All pay heed. The Lord, the Lord Jehovah, has given unto you these 15. Ten, ten commandments for all to obey. It wasn't originally 15. I just, want, I just want to kind of point out that that shows that I'm probably actually the fun, most fun pastor. I know Pastor Nick tried to claim that title last week, uh, but that's pretty funny. So no, uh, it's on YouTube, so you can find that. It's good, but that's not how it happened. Uh, so we're going to look to the Bible uh, to see how this happened. So we're going to start in chapter 19, uh, verses 1 through 8. It says, on the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt... On that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. 
And this is the introduction of this covenant uh, with the people of Israel. God has this new covenant that he's creating and it's, it's different than the covenant he gave to Abraham, our, our, our father in faith, right? Uh, this covenant has a condition. It requires the obedience of the Israelites. Back in Genesis 22, uh, God tested Abraham and said, you, you know, basically go, go, kill your son for me, this son that I promised to you, and do this. And so Abraham went up to the mountain and was willing to do it, but God stopped him and, and provided the sacrifice via a, a ram that was caught in the thicket. And so based off of Abraham's faith, God made this covenant, but that covenant was in his own name, in God's name. He, he did this oath in his name. It was not conditional on anything else. But now we see, he says, tell them of this covenant and if they obey it fully, then they will be my people. So there's this condition here. But now we see God and he's uh, revealing his desire to call this people, his holy nation, his people, his kingdom of pre uh, priests. And the Israelites, they're still learning who God is. They're learning who God is. Through the desert so far, they've seen God provide for them. Uh, even when they grumble, he's gone before them in their weakness, and now God is showing them how important obedience is to him. It's not something flippant. Let's continue on, verse nine. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and, you will, uh, and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. So God now makes himself, he's going to make himself uh, heard by all people. They're going to hear his voice as he talks to Moses. And I think it's really interesting that he says, the reason he's gonna do this is so that they will trust in Moses, right? There will be no question that Moses is God's man, that he is the mediator that God wants to use. So, so all those times previous when they're grumbling in the, in the desert and they're like, you brought us out here to, to kill us and to, to do all this kind of stuff and it was better in Egypt. Now they're gonna know it is truly God who is talking to Moses, just in case there was any doubt. Verse 10, and the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. After Ma Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. See, God is holy and he's gonna come down on this mountain and his holiness is so great, it is so holy that it will make this mountain holy. And so the people who are unholy, who are unclean, they can't come near it, right? And they can't, be, they can't approach it, so much so that no human or even animal can touch the foot of the mountain. And if that happens, they have to be put to death and they can't be touched. It has to be done with stones or arrows, which I really liked. I was like, I'd probably set up my blind right at the base of the mountain and get the bow 
and I don't know, <laughs> probably not like that. But God is serious about his presence. He's serious about his holiness and he's serious about everybody else's holiness or unholiness, their uncleanness. See, the people must be consecrated. The Hebrew word for consecrate is uh, kadash and it means to set apart, to be holy, to be de- dedicated to God. So they're being consecrated. They're being set apart to God. They're gonna clean their clothes. I don't know how often they clean their clothes out there. They didn't have washing machines like we do, doing it every week. I don't know how often they took baths, but they're gonna do that. They're gonna get outwardly clean and they're gonna set themselves apart and be consecrated for the Lord, ready for him to show up. And they can't even have sex. So you know it's serious, right? It's serious. Entering into God's presence should not be taken lightly. It's not lightly. You don't, um, did you know that we pray for you every weekend? We pray that God would prepare your heart to enter into his presence, to worship, to be here at church. Uh, as a pastor, every week when I preach uh, and, 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 and I get ready, I, I consecrate myself. I have a whole routine that I do. I won't go into all the details, but like when I'm, when I'm taking my shower, I'm thinking I'm cleaning outwardly and I say, God, will you clean me inwardly? Will you clean my heart? Will you cleanse me? If, if there's any sin that I, I haven't noticed or I haven't confessed that's holding me back from you, God, would you reveal that? Like I consecrate and I try to set myself apart. I say, God, remove from me all my thoughts that aren't of you. I wanna be fully dedicated to, to preaching your word so bills and uh, other things that have to be done around the house and, and this task that needs to be done next week, like they can just all go out of my head so that I can just focus and be consecrated, be set apart to God. See, we're to have this reverence for the Lord. He is majestic and holy. He is the creator of all things. And this is what he's asking his people to do, to prepare themselves, to prepare themselves to be in his presence. How do you prepare for worship? How do you prepare for church? Now, I think it's a little easier when we're meeting in person, right? We get up out of bed, take a shower, we get dressed, we get in the car, we drive to a different location, right? All of these things are like physical actions. It helps us recognize we're entering into a special place, a sacred place. But when we're at home, when we're online, like you, watching right now, it's, it's, you've gotta be intentional and you've gotta put extra effort. It's really easy to just kinda like barely roll out of bed right before service. Maybe you don't even get out of bed, it's just grab the phone and now I'm in service, right? Maybe it's easy just to, to sit down and think this is just some other TV show and I'll just put it on while I'm doing the dishes or cleaning the house or, or the worship songs or just other songs just like I'm listening on the radio. See, it's hard. But when we enter into God's presence, we need to recognize that it's a sacred place. That we're entering into this place of worship to a holy God. It's not like we can just, you know, go in and be like, hey, bro, sit down. And, and, and just watch TV and be like, okay, I went to church, check that off. It should be something that we're really consciously thinking about. 
that we're being a part of it. And that's what these people are doing. They're preparing for God to come. And then he does. Verse 16 says, on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. I was hoping, I was thinking, maybe we should get a really big loud trumpet and just like, while I read this, I thought that'd be cool. Um, Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Remember, they couldn't go towards the foot of the mountain, but now the trumpet had blasted so they could come closer. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. How terrifying and awesome is the Lord. Like billowing smoke. They didn't see God. They didn't see his presence. He came down in fire, and there was thunder, and there was lightning, and there was all this smoke. He was still hidden in there. And in fact, the lightning and the thunder, that wasn't God. That was just nature's response to God coming on the mountain. Like, even nature responds to how amazing and awesome God is. The whole mountain shakes like an earthquake. Have you ever been in an earthquake? I haven't. I think it would terrify me. Like everything's shaking and I'm, I, I would recognize how out of control and how tiny I really am. I think like the closest I've come to that, I used to live in a mobile home out in Golden and uh, there was a, a time when there were these really huge winds coming through. I mean like hurricane force winds for whatever reason one night and it's, I mean it's shaking the whole, I thought like maybe I'll end up in Oz, I don't know. It's shaking like crazy, right? And I'm, I'm, I started getting scared like thinking my trailer's gonna move, I should probably get out of here and then I thought well if I go out then I'll just get blown around as well. Uh, and I know what you're thinking but I was a lot thinner then so it could happen. Um, so you know, but it's scary. It's terrifying. Here comes God onto this mountain. The smoke is billowing up. I mean, think about our Cameron Peak fire. If you saw those pictures, I mean, all that smoke just going up into the air. This is God on the mountain. Verse 20, the Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. Everybody hears it. Moses, come up here. So Moses went up. And the Lord said to him, go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. So God is still very concerned about how holy he is. And if these people come up and rush through, then he's gonna have to break out against them because they are an unholy people, because they are, they are sinners, because they, don't, they, haven't, they haven't made any sacrifice. They aren't even ceremonially clean. They've consecrated themselves as best they could, but he, they can't just come up to the mountain. And I love here that Moses is like, no, 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 it's okay, God. We're being obedient. You told us to not do this, so we're not doing it. Verse 24, the Lord replied, go down and bring up Aaron with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. 
God was very interested in making sure Moses goes down. And this takes a while. Mount Sinai, I did a little research. It takes about like two hours to climb up to the top. There's a, at least right now there is, there's this nice trail. I don't know what it was like for Moses, maybe three hours. You know, the, he had to go up there. The people are hearing all of this. He has to come back down there waiting, right? And now Moses is down there with the people. They're all together. And God has reiterated how important it is that they not come up. And so today's message is titled, Thou Shalt Not, right? We're looking at the Ten Commandments, but I wanted to spend time here in chapter 19 because it's so important. Because if we don't recognize who God is, then the Ten Commandments really don't matter, right? If we don't have the understanding of the authority of the one giving the commandment, then the commandment is kind of pointless, it's like if your child were to come in and be like, you need to go to bed at 10. Like, who are you? I'm gonna stay up and watch the news, right? But if God, the one who comes down onto the mountain in smoke and thunder and lightning and causes earthquakes says, thou shalt not, then that means something. So it's important that we understand that. And we see God's desire to be with us. I think that's what's so cool, is God didn't just say, you know, he was talking with Moses before this, before he came down to the mountain, right? He could have just talked to Moses, said, tell all the people this, but no, he had this desire to be with his people. A holy kingdom, a holy priesthood that he wanted. He initiates this contact and this relationship, not only with the Israelites, but he does that with us. He wants to be that close to us as well. And just like the Israelites, it's not because we're worthy, it's not because we deserve it, it's not because of the righteous things we've done, it's all because of God's goodness and his grace and his love for us. He invites us into his presence, yet, God doesn't compromise himself to meet us. See, he is holy. Not only that, he's holy, holy, holy. There is no fault in him. He is majestic. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, full of truth. He is just, he is righteous and blameless. God has never said, oops. God has never made a mistake. God has never misjudged anything. He's never misunderstood anything. He's never late. He's always faithful. He is compassionate. He's full of mercy. He provides, he delivers, he restores, he redeems. That's who God is. There is no one like him. Put it in the chat. That is my God. That is my God. He is the one who restores and who is above all things. God wants you to know who he is. He is telling and showing Moses and the Israelites who I am. The great I am, Yahweh, the only God, God Almighty, the one worthy of all praise. And God reveals himself and we are to enter into worship of him. But not flippantly, not carelessly, not, eh, God's here. Not just by cleaning our clothes, but by rending our hearts, by cleansing ourselves internally, going to God and asking him so that we can go to him with a revenant heart, right? Here's what I want you to recognize is that how you approach worship reveals a lot about how you see God. 
How you approach worship reveals a lot about how you see God. If it's just friend Jesus, you know, then it's, hey bro, what's up? But if it's the creator of all things, the one who brings lightning and makes the earth tremble, then we kind of approach with a different standpoint, right? Do you think about the God who comes down to the mountain in smoke and lightning when you go to church? Do you think about the mighty, awesome creator who breathed stars into existence? Or do you just kind of stand there waiting for worship to be over? Maybe at home, you're just sitting on the couch, checking a feed over here while it's up over here. Not singing to him, not lifting your arms. Do you know why we lift our arms in worship? Right, like ask any police officer. What's this mean? I give up, I surrender. That's our worship. I surrender. I surrender to the God who's on top of the mountain, who comes in smoke. For me, it's been a little bit different lately. I don't know why, but I've just, my, my, my worship has gone from like this to like, like this. And it, it, it's like a child. Like, like, dad, I want you to pick me up. Like I recognize the older I get, the, the, the more I walk with Christ, the more I realize like how my wisdom and my abilities are just so childlike to God that I'm like, I want, I want you, Father. And I, I almost get onto my tippy toes and I'm like, I remember my kids doing this to me and that's how I feel like to God, that I'm just surrendering to him. I wanna be comforted by him. See, God wants our complete devotion and our complete obedience. That's what he's showing the Israelites here. He's showing them who he is, and then he's gonna show them these commandments. So God comes down onto this mountain, and Moses and all the people are at the foot of the mountain. It's interesting, you know, in the Ten Commandments, that movie by, by Cecil B. DeMille, right? We, we always see it's like Moses is up on the mountain, and he comes down with these tablets, and eventually that does happen. But when God first gives the Ten Commandments, what we see here in the Bible, everybody is at the foot of the mountain, and everyone hears God's voice. It's a command to every single person. It's, it's personal. It's intimate. It's, there is no mediator. It is God to the people. And they hear his voice. Chapter 20, verse one says, and God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. See, God is God. And he's telling them, you're gonna, these are gonna be these commandments. And it's not because you're looking forward to future things. It's because of what I have done. I brought you out of Egypt. I saved you from slavery. I lifted you up after you cried out to me. So these laws are to be followed, that we are to be an obedient people. First commandment, exclusive worship. You shall have no other gods before me. God is God alone. There are no other gods. Most of the ancient Near East was polytheistic. They believed in many, many gods, just like Egypt, where these Israelites had come out of. There were many gods in Egypt. So God's making it very clear, like, no, 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 no. There is only one God, and it is me. Yahweh is now telling them that he is the one true God, and he is to be worshiped as such. I found this interesting, that phrase, before me, 
The Hebrew word is al-paneya, and it means in my presence. And it conveys the idea that Israel's consideration or recognition of anything besides Yahweh as God is like carrying out the act of adultery in plain view of one's spouse. You get that? It conveys the idea that Israel's consideration or recognition of anything besides Yahweh as its God is like carrying out the act of adultery in plain view of one's spouse. He says, have no other God before me. Do not commit adultery right in front of me. Humans have this propensity to worship and that's because God created us that way. He created us to worship him. But we also have this sinful nature that, that leads us towards polytheism and, and selfishness and idolatrous worship. Even though Jesus saves us from this sin, we still have the temptations, right? They're still there, the love of money, religious pluralism, like all religions are the same, it's okay. Polytheism, political allegiance, economic allegiance, celebrities, there's all kinds of things that we have available to us to worship. And that just means we're putting it before God. There's nothing wrong with liking something. But he's saying, don't put it before me. If the entertainment or the TV show is such that you can't, you, you have to miss church to see that, then you've put it before God. And it looks like adultery right before his eyes. God is concerned about who you worship and how you worship. He is the only one worthy of worship. Our obedience to his commandments is an act of worship. Second commandment, idolatry. Verse four says, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. See, this is about worshiping God the right way. God's presence had no form at Sinai, right? He came down in fire. There, there was no form there. And so he's saying, don't make forms of me. Don't make little statues and say that's me because that's not me. Because God is so much bigger than that, right? We are not to make an image or an idol. Uh, he is the invisible God. So we worship him in spirit. It's all about, this, this commandment is all about not worshiping things, don't worship a car, a house, a statue, a job, a relationship, an animal, a reputation. No thing should come before God. Third commandment, wrongful use of name. Verse seven, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Misuse refers to uh, false witness. Uh, idle, uh, could be uh, idle, using it idly, unnecessary, frivolously, insincere in an oath. I remember when I was a kid, like that was like the big thing, right? If you're trying to tell the I swear to God. Well, do you really? <laughs> or is it just something you say, right? Don't use God's name frivolously or fraudulently in a lawsuit. Lord, God, Jesus Christ, Yahweh, God Almighty, Holy Spirit, God has many names that we know him by and can use. 
We need to keep God's name holy and revere it. It's not an expletive to use when we're upset or hurt. It's the name of our creator, the creator of the universe. Our worship through obedience continues even to the use of God's name. Fourth commandment, the Sabbath. Verse eight, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is a commandment to rest. Kanye says, closed on Sunday. Talk about Chick-fil-A, right? Rest, all your employees, all of your people, all of the animals, let them rest. And it's about trust. The rest is not just that you need to take a nap. The rest is that we trust in the Lord to provide for that day, even though we aren't working. See, as, as humans, I think we have this tendency to work ourselves to death. We get into this scarcity mindset where we think, you know what, if I don't do this, if I don't work hard, if I don't work every single day, if I don't do all of this stuff, if I don't stop, or if I keep going, then, then I'll provide for myself because that's what I need to do. I need to pull up myself by my bootstraps and I gotta take care of business. But what God says is, no, rest. Give me a full day and trust in me that I'm the God who provides. This command, for, uh, this command to rest forces us to trust in God as our provider completely. There's this great peace in taking time off and resting and trusting that God has it all under control. There's great peace in that. Now those first four commandments really deal with our relationship with God and how we treat him. And these, these last six deal with our relation to others. So fifth commandment, honoring parents. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you and all the parents put in the chat, amen. Honor your parents. And then all the parents remember, hey, I have parents. <laughs> right, we all have parents. We all have parents. God wants us to honor that relationship. God has, has entrusted parents, uh, the, the children to those parents, and so they are to teach their children. So parents, that doesn't mean this is just like a free, hey, honor me and I don't have to do anything. We, we're, we're called to teach our children, to raise them up in the ways of the Lord, and our children are to honor us and to respect us. And us as adult children, we are to, to give honor and respect to our parents and to our elders who have wisdom wisdom and who have been there. Sixth commandment, murder. You shall not murder. This one is pretty complicated. I'm going to break it down for you, okay? Um, murder, premeditated killing, is forbidden, period. You can't kill the old, the young, the unborn, the disabled, the developmentally challenged, the mental health, those with mental health issues, your siblings, the guy who cut you off on the highway. You can't kill anybody. That's how this works. So I want, I'm glad I could clear that up. You know, I was talking with Pastor Katie a little bit earlier. I thought it was so hilarious. Oftentimes people will say, I've heard this said, that, you know, I'm not that bad of a person. I've never killed anyone. I'm like, that's one out of 10. Like, that's, that's not good. If, if you're just batting 
Um, you need to work on that. But I love that Jesus addresses this commandment in the Sermon on the Mount. Right, and Matthew five, he's preaching and he's telling all these people and he is these famous things where he said, but I say, right? He says, you've heard it said, you know the law says, do not murder. And then Jesus says, but I say. And Jesus cuts to the root of this law. He says, don't be angry at anybody. Don't hate anyone. In fact, don't even call them a fool. If you do that, then you'll be under judgment, just like murder. See, God takes this very seriously and it's, it, it, it's, it is about the physical act. Don't murder. <laughs> but it's also about the heart and what's in there and what you're thinking about. God cares about our thought processes, our heart, and our intentions just as much as he does our, our physical actions. Seventh commandment, adultery. You shall not commit adultery. This is a reflection of the sanctity of marriage. God created marriage. He, it's his institution and he designed it to be between one man and one woman. One of the commentaries I read uh, said this, I found this very interesting. It says, in our understanding of this commandment today, we also need to include any form of sexual behavior or attitude contrary to the spirit of this commandment, which is fidelity in human relationships. What they're saying is like, it's not just enough to say, well, I didn't actually go and sleep with somebody. If you're looking at pornography, if you're checking out content that's sexually charged, maybe even things that are just quote unquote risque, or you're having an emotional relationship with somebody, you're committing adultery. It goes to that length. Jesus, again, speaks on this, on the, on the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, if you've even looked at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery with her already. God cares about what's in your heart. Eighth commandment, theft. You shall not steal. Don't steal items, don't kidnap, don't do human trafficking. Theft of items from war that were dedicated to God would be covered under this. Robbery, embezzlement, the use of dishonest weights or scales, right, in your, in your work, passive forms. I found this interesting, like negligence, keeping property that others lost. So that whole finders, keepers, losers, weepers, not good. Defrauding or withholding wages, keeping back tithes, stealing from God would be co covered under this. Taking what Yahweh set aside as provisions for the poor. Later in Leviticus, God is telling people as they farm and they harvest their, their crops that they're not supposed to go all the way to the edge. Don't harvest everything, leave some for the poor. So if you were to go out and do that and you harvested everything, you would be stealing from the Lord, stealing from the poor. And it goes to us. You know, a lot of those things don't make a lot of sense for us, but stealing time from your employer. How many of you are, you know, sitting on Facebook when you're supposed to be working? Watching YouTube when you're not supposed to be? Don't steal. Ninth commandment, false witness. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. This prohibits false testimonies in a legal setting. God is a God of truth. In fact, Jesus said, I am the truth. Proverbs 6 talks about these seven detestable things that, the God, that God has, these things that are detestable to him, and two of them are lying. I don't think God likes lying much. Leviticus 5.1 even tells us that anyone who has evidence and doesn't speak up is considered lying. So if you know something to help someone or you have evidence in a case and you don't talk about it, you're lying. 
All right, 10th commandment, here we go. Covetousness, that's a fun word to say. Say that at home. Type that in the chat, covetousness. It's easier to type than it is to say. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, his truck, his boat, his camper, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Coveting, man, along with pride, I think covetousness is this root of all sins, right? In fact, our, our ability to covet, our desire to covet can lead us to breaking all those other commandments, right? To, to steal, to murder, to commit adultery, to, to not honor God, to worship idols, all those kind of things. I found this quote from Junia uh, Pakrivka, and I found it very timely. She says, in a world beset with materialism and consumerism and illicit sexual gratification through pornography and sex trafficking, for example, coveting has become pandemic. It's a pandemic we're, we're okay with living with. Right, we're going through this coronavirus pandemic and we're stopping things and we're causing, we're saying social distance and wear masks and, and you can't stay out past 10 p.m. But we're okay living, living with the pandemic of, of covetousness. We're okay with that. We're constantly bombarded with advertisements telling us we need more, we deserve better, you should want this, you should want what they have. Right? Social media thrives on this. That's all it is. Right? The, 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 the social media feed is designed to light up our brain with every little scroll to see what everybody else is doing and for us to want it and want it more and keep scrolling and look what they had for dinner. I didn't have that. And look where they went for vacation. I didn't go there. And look what they just bought. They have that new car. And look, at, it's just designed. And then they slip in ads right? Because you're looking at those things and don't you want that new car and don't you want that new tent and don't you want that cool thing? Social media just, just bombards us with this and it's so hard to not fall into it. So how do we fight it? I wanted to take a little bit of time on this one. Measure our human worth by what God says, not by our material possessions. Know that your worth is based off who God says you are. It's not about the things that you own or that you have. That's how we measure our worth. Be, be like David, the psalmist in Psalm 23, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. When you recognize that it is God who provides everything, then you lack nothing. Live in freedom and not in that mindset of scarcity that I gotta keep grabbing, I gotta keep getting, I gotta keep going. Paul says to be content in all things, right? He says he learned how to be content with much and how to be content with little. It's not the things in our life that make us happy or that bring us joy, it's God in our life. So there's the 10 commandments, are thou shalt nots. God has just given these. He spoke these out to the whole Israelite community for everyone to hear. And then in verse 18, we pick up, it says, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Like we can't hear his voice. You have to go be uh, this mediator for us. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. 
And people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. So Moses goes back up there. The Israelites are in fear of their life because they've heard the Lord speak. And when I think of the 10 Commandments, as I was trying to wrap this up for everybody and thinking, what does this look like? It made me think about a conversation that Jesus had with the teachers of the law. And we see it in Mark 12. Verse 28 says, one of the lead teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. And he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no one, no other like him or but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. See, when you, when you look at the 10 commandments, it's possible to break them out into those two sections. Like I said earlier, what's relating to God and what's relating to people. And that's what Jesus does here with those teachers of the law. He says that you need to love God and that you need to love people. See, and, and Jesus had 613 laws that he could have picked from. Right? He didn't get down to this one specific one where he just said it's very broad, it's love. That you need to love God and love people. That's what the 10 commandments are all about. It's not about having 10 commandments and I did this one thing and it kind of slips between number six and seven and so I get away with it. It's about showing who God is. It's about us understanding his heart and what he wants for us. He wants us to love him and he wants us to love people. It implies that we have this relationship with God that's, that's so close and personal and intimate that we're willing to change based off the prompting of the Holy Spirit. That it's not that, that there's these 10 and it wasn't on that list of 10 and so I don't have to worry about it, but it's such that we know God and we know his heart and we wanna love him and we wanna love people. And so if I need to like not eat a cupcake because I'm putting sweets before God, then I'm not gonna eat a cupcake. There's no, there's no cupcakes in the 10 commandments, but I'm gonna do it because God loves me. And he said, you know what? You're putting that before me. Maybe I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay back from the job because I'm working too many hours and I'm putting that before God. I'm willing to do that. That's called holiness. See, when we love God and we love people, we're living a life of holiness. And that's what we're called to. Jesus said, if you love me, then you'll do what I say. He says, if you love me, then follow my commands. Do what I say. And that's what God wants from us. That's what he's showing the Israelites there on that mountain. If you love me, do what I say. It says it like this in uh, Galatians. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. 
The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what our sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. We've got these two forces just working and battling in our life, our sinful nature and the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, but when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When the Spirit is leading you, because the Spirit's not gonna contradict the 10 commandments or the law that was given to Moses. It's just gonna take you to the root of everything. Adultery is about lust, murder is about hate. Coveting is about greed and selfishness. When we're following the spirit, we live a holy life. When you follow the desires, this is verse 19, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. This looks much like the 10 commandments, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these and lying and all that kind of stuff. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. And since we are living by the Spirit, let us also follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. We often think of the law or the Ten Commandments as all these knots, all these things we're not allowed to do. But when we're fully devoted to God, when we consecrate ourselves, we don't look at the knots, but we look at what God will do in our lives, that he will fill us with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It's a life full of all of those things. And it starts with a life surrendered to Jesus Christ, putting your faith in him, right? We have all sinned and fallen short of God's standard. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. But the Bible also tells us that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And all you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. Jesus died on the cross so that we don't have to worry about that law and the payment of it and how we can't meet it. Paul teaches us that, that the law was there to show us our sin and show us that we needed Jesus. And so Jesus going to the cross and dying for us and pouring his blood out and cleansing us and raising from the grave three days later brings us salvation. But it doesn't end there, right? Jesus said, do what I say. 
It's just like God saying, consecrate yourselves before I come to the mountain. And we're to fully consecrate ourselves to Jesus. We're to fully devote ourselves to him. Give Jesus full access to every part of our lives, our thoughts, our relationships, our finances, our goals, our dreams, our desires, everything is given to God and we follow his Holy Spirit. And then God removes that heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. You'll be sanctified. You'll be set apart to God, consecrated. That's the life of holiness, following Jesus all the time in every way, being shaped into the likeness of Christ being made into a better person, a better father, a better mother, a better friend, a better spouse. That's what he's calling us to. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much. I thank you so much, God, that you, not only did you give us the law and give us these commandments to show us who you are and what you expect of us, but that you also gave us so much grace through Jesus Christ. That even though we didn't fulfill them, even though we, we're not bad people, we haven't killed anybody, we, we got 10% of it. Or maybe some of us have gotten 0% of it. That you didn't see us as a lost cause. Maybe you're here watching online today and you've never made that decision to follow Jesus. Just say this prayer, Jesus, take all of my life. I know I've sinned, I know I've fallen short and I just need you to forgive me and I accept your gift and I love you and I'm gonna follow you. Maybe you're watching today, you've, you've made that decision before, but you've been struggling with that, that sinful nature and what the spirit wants. And you're just, you just want God completely to take over. Say this prayer, God, I give myself completely to you. There's nothing that you can't speak into into my life. You have access to everything. Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Would you guide me day by day? Would you free me? That I may say yes to you and no to temptation. God, we thank you so much for what you're doing here at Thorn Creek Church. God, I thank you for all those people who are giving faithfully. Would you continue to bless them? Would you continue to provide for them? Would you have your hand upon their homes? Would your spirit of peace dwell there? Would you uh, be with them in their jobs and in their work? And would you continue to go before them in all the bills and all the things as they honor you through worship with their finances? God, continue to bless the offering that comes into Thorn Creek Church. God, we love you so much and we worship you with everything, not flippantly, but knowing that you are the God of all creation, 
We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church/give.